Hey, everyone. Welcome back inside the home office. I'm Craig D'Amico, and this is NEC Football on the Run. We've passed Labor Day. We're back to school. PSLs have arrived at Starbucks. Halloween stuff has been in the stores for the last two months or so. So forget the fact that technically it's still summer for the next two weeks. It's fall, baby, and that means it's time for NEC Football to hit into high gear. We're coming off of week one. Last week, between Thursday night and Saturday afternoon, there was a 48-hour stretch or so where all eight NEC football teams were in action. So right now, we're going to recap it all for you, take you back through the week that was, and we're going to start with our top headlines. This is our pick six. So we start with a little bit of a spoiler. I hate to jump right to the finish. I mean, this is kind of like finding out that the kid sees dead people 30 seconds into the movie, but we're going to jump right to the finish. Out of the eight NEC football teams in action week one, only one team actually found the win column. And it just so happened to be the NEC's newest team, the team playing their very first game at the FCS level, the Stonehill Skyhawks, as they knocked off Bloomsburg 33-30 to in double overtime. On their opening drive, the Skyhawks marched impressively. 15 plays, 69 yards in 7 minutes, 11 seconds, nearly half of the entire first quarter. They capped it off with a Perry Shellbread 24-yard field goal to come away with points on their very first FCS offensive series. By the way, Shellbread named NEC Special Teams Player of the Week for Week 1. Bloomsburg turned a pair of Stonehill Special Teams turnovers into touchdowns in the second quarter to build up an 11-point advantage. But... The Skyhawks got a key score on a nine-yard Jermaine Corbett touchdown in the waning seconds of the first half for a little bit of damage control to only go into intermission down four. Fast forward to the fourth quarter, down 11 again. Jarrell Washington scored on a 49-yard reception with 432 to play to pull within three, 27-24. Then after the defense forced a three and out, Stonehill marched eight plays, 46 yards and converted a Shellbred 31-yard field goal with 16 seconds to spare to send the game into overtime. Both teams came up empty in OT1. Bloomsburg took the lead with a 33-yard field goal on their possession in OT2, but for Stonehill, running back Jarrell Washington ran it in from two yards out, his second score of the day and the walk-off game winner for the Skyhawks. It was their first overtime win since 2016. And they start off their program's FCS era with a perfect 1-0 overall record. And by the way, sole possession of first place in the NEC's overall standings. Okay, again, so we already spoiled it for you. If Stonehill was the only team that won, you know the results of all the other teams in the league. But Stonehill wasn't the only NEC team to go into overtime, though, in week one. And that brings us to headline number two, SFU's trip to the Buckeye State to take on Akron last Thursday night. The trip started earlier in the week by traveling about 20 miles south of Akron to Canton, Ohio, and a special visit to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The Red Flash had some great pics of their team visit to the Hall of Fame on their official Twitter page. I was at the Hall of Fame a few years ago in Canton. Awesome building, tons to see. You could get lost in there for hours. I imagine the team had a great time. Now, after their visit to Pro Football's hollowed grounds, the Red Flash then went to work in just their second ever game against an FBS opponent. With SFU trailing by seven under six minutes to go in the fourth, the Flash took over on offense and received an immediate strike with a 55-yard completion from Justin Slawoski to Dawson Snyder. Four plays later, DeAndre Scott ran it in from seven yards out to not the game in 23 
and send this game into a bonus session. After winning the coin toss, SFU decided to play defense. Cam Wiley scored on a one-yard touchdown run for the Zips for them to go up a touchdown. So the red flash needed to answer that. But Slawoski's second and goal pass from the three-yard line was intercepted in the end zone. Heartbreak City by Tyson Durant finished it all off. The red flash fought tough. They battled, but they fall 30-23. to More on this game coming up later on in our stat chat later in the show. Up next, number three, it was our feature game of the week from last Friday night. The Merrimack Warriors hosting the 16th-ranked Holy Cross Crusaders. We talked about it last week. This was the rematch after the Warriors pulled off the upset in Worcester last year. The Crusaders, they must have been just a tad bit perturbed by that result. Maybe they kind of sort of remembered that because they came out of the gates playing like it. They went up 19-3 to by the middle of the second quarter. The Crusaders racked up 502 yards of offense and didn't punt the football all afternoon en route to a 31-17 win. Merrimack wide receiver Jakari Carter, who went for over 100 yards with a touchdown in last year's game, caught a touchdown in the final minute of the fourth quarter for the Warriors in this year's matchup. Next, coming off their loss last week to Florida State during the week of games before the first official week, the Duquesne Dukes were back on the road taking on Youngstown State. The Dukes were down three going into the fourth quarter. They were right there, but the Penguins went on lockdown. In four fourth quarter possessions, the Dukes went three and out on two of them. They only mustered 39 yards of offense in the entire decisive quarter altogether. While on the other side, Youngstown State rolled off 14 unanswered points, including a 54-yard touchdown run to make it 31-14 and put the game on ice. Duquesne quarterback Joe Mishler, who was our guest last week here on NAC Football on the run through for 274 yards and two touchdowns. However, he did commit three interceptions. The Dukes had two wide receivers in this game go over 100 yards. Abdul Jannah and Dwayne Menders Jr., the first pair of Duquesne wideouts with over 100 yards in the same game since 2019. Now let's check in on the preseason favorite in the NAC Sacred Heart as they were involved in a defensive struggle in Eastern Pennsylvania against the Lafayette Leopards. The defense for the Pioneers, they were incredible. They held the Leopards to just eight. Yes, eight, not 80, eight passing yards the entire game. Just 113 total yards the entire game. One for 11 on third down while recording three sacks and two takeaways. Phenomenal. In the third quarter, though, Leopards quarterback Ryan Schuster ran it in, taking a huge hit at the goal line, but getting in nonetheless for the score from 18 yards out. The extra point was missed, but Lafayette did manage to crack that scoreless seal going up 6-0. For Sacred Heart, they were their own worst enemy at times in this game. A couple costly turnovers, both in Lafayette territory, as well as committing eight penalties for 72 yards. Still, they were right there at the end. It was still only 6-0. Going into the final moments of the fourth quarter, they took over at their own 23 with 2.06 to go. So two-minute drill time. Here come the dramatics. There was a fourth and goal at the Lafayette 21. Marquez McCray, the pioneer quarterback, connected with Rob Denota for 20 yards, setting up first and goal at the one with 12 seconds to go. Three feet away from victory. Now, there were two incompletions in a row, one on first down, one on second down, setting up one final play. Third and goal from the one, three seconds to go. 
You could run it. You could pass it. Plenty of options. The Pioneers gave it to Malik Grant. I mean, he's incredible. Why wouldn't they give it to him up the middle? But he was stopped short of the goal line as time ran out. The Leopards survived the season opener six to nothing for Sacred Heart. It was their third straight season opening road loss, dropping three of their last four season openers overall. They will look to come back and regroup when they open up NEC play against Central Connecticut State next week. More on that game coming up later in the show. And finally, let's go around the rest of the league. UConn won the Connecticut State collision against Central Connecticut 28-3. Wagner fell at home to Fordham 48-31, but reigning defensive player of the year Titus Leo had a sack, had four and a half tackles for a loss. He was in the backfield almost as much as the Fordham quarterback and running back were. Incredible game for him, and the LIU Sharks were shut out at the Glass Bowl against Toledo 37 to nothing. As mentioned after week one, although remember Duquesne has played two games, Stonehill leads the pack in the standings with a 1-0 overall record. Six teams are tied for second at 0-1. Duquesne is 0-2. Remember we start conference play this week and the leader in the pack at the end of the season will represent the NEC in the FCS playoffs. Time now for our top three stars of the week and we start with number three, Duquesne wide receiver Abdul Jenna who now has three touchdowns in two games. He had the lone Duke score last week against Florida State, and this week he was one of two Duquesne wide receivers to go over the century mark with eight catches for 121 yards and two scores. Jenna was also this week's NEC Offensive Player of the Week. Number two, it's St. Francis linebacker Sebastian Benjamin, who had four sacks all of last year, and he had three or four, depending on what you look at, sacks in the opener at Akron. There was a discrepancy originally that said four, then it was three, now it's four again. Tomorrow might be down to two, and then they'll go back up to four. We'll go with four. The four sacks tied the program's single-game record. Not a bad start to a brand-new season. Benjamin is now on pace for 44 sacks this year, which I'm pretty sure would be some sort of record. Benjamin, your NEC Defensive Player of the Week. And our top star was Stonehill running back Jarrell Washington. 99 all-purpose yards reeling in the 49-yard touchdown to get the comeback train going in the fourth quarter and then rushing 11 times for 50 yards and punching in the game-winning walk-off touchdown in overtime. Washington, not just with the two touchdowns, but two clutch touchdowns helping lead Stonehill to their comeback win. Stonehill running back Jarrell Washington, our NEC football on the run, week one, top star. And we're now joined by our top star of the week, Stonehill running back Jarrell Washington. Jarrell, thanks for taking some time for us today. Thank you for having me. Now, you know, I I'm someone, and there might be a lot of people like me, we're never going to get to experience what it's like to score a game-winning touchdown in overtime. So for people like us, take us, take us into it. What, what was the feeling like crossing that goal line and, and getting the win for your team? It was a surreal feeling, to be honest, because, like you said, it was a walk-off touchdown. It's a huge game, first FCS game for us, too, D1 touchdown. It's also my first college football game, so very exciting. What, what was the morale like for the team? I would imagine it was a happy ride home, right? Very happy. <laughs> Very happy. 
No, you know, it, it, it said, and that says something about your team, you know, down 11, fourth quarter, it could have been very easy to, you know, have mental, you know, negative thoughts seep through your head, but, you know, you guys kind of kept fighting and stayed with it. So, so how, how are you guys able to do that? We're just mentally tough. We just have a mentally tough football team, very gritty football team. We always believe that we're going to come back and end up winning the football game. Now, I, I, I want to go to this, this, the first touchdown, the touchdown catch. You know, I, I'm not an X's and O's guy, but just like, you know, watching the play, it looked like the linebacker and the lineman kind of came up and you slipped behind them. And then yeah. there was a pocket where like no one was in with like 10 yards of you. Did, did yeah. you see that like developing? And were you like, ooh, if I get the ball right now, this is a touchdown? Yeah. As soon as I saw him pass my face, I just whipped my head around real quick to see my quarterback Asher throw me the football. And then there was a bunch of green grass and I knew I had to just take off. Now, I, I would imagine your speed is a weapon that has served you pretty well <laughs> up to this point, correct? Yeah. That, sure. uh, it was definitely on display on, on that play. And like you said, this was Stonehill's first game as a member of the NEC first as an FCS team. So it, it was historic in that way, but did, did it, feel any different to you or was it just you know a win's a win or what was it like um it really didn't feel any different it felt pretty much the same a win's a win to be honest to me that's just, that's uh, what we came to Bloomsburg to get and happy I, to work away with that absolutely you definitely got that and and I, I you know I want to talk about your journey for a second because you're from White Plains White Plains New York you're an Iona Prep Gale so mm -hmm. how did you get from there all the way up to Massachusetts to play football at Stonehill? What was your journey? Oh, it's a long story. <laughs> um, basically, me and my cousin, we both got recruited by Stonehill. And I also had a lot of other colleges too at the time, but Corona really like ruined my recruiting process a little bit. Sure. So, yeah, I had a uh, other Division One schools too, but I felt like Stonehill was the right fit for me. Was there something about the campus or the team or the coaches? What made it feel like the right fit? Definitely the coaching staff. They were very welcoming. Um, I loved the facilities. I loved how small the campus was. It just really just fit everything I wanted in a school. And it was certainly a great fit uh, for them to have you for, for the opener, you know, clutch plays there and that comeback in the fourth quarter. Uh, let, let, let's finish up here with, with some rapid fire. We have some quick hitters for you. Give us the first thing that comes to mind, all right? Yeah. All right. So the, the either the night before the game or the day of the game, What's your go-to pregame meal? What's your number one pregame meal that you must have before game day? Um, Probably ramen noodles. I kind of grew up on ramen noodles, so, yeah, that's definitely ramen noodles. You can't go wrong with that. That's an awesome yeah. choice. Um, what, what What's your go-to pregame song? What's on the headphones uh, or the earbuds before game day? Oh, that's easy. Anything by Chief Keef. Okay. Anything. We, we, Who's your favorite player to watch could be presently playing or could be from the past? My favorite running back of all time is Marshawn Lynch. For sure. Wow. What, what do you like? What do you like about him? Uh, he, he reminds me a lot of my older brother. I'm not going to lie. Okay. I just, I just like how he carries himself. He's very carefree. 
he's the person that he wants to be, not who people want him to be. I just love that. Now, if if your teammate, if we asked your teammates to describe you with just one word, how, what do you think they would say? How would they describe you? For sure, very humble. Actually, very quiet. Pretty much introverted, but okay. very very hard worker. Come come to um, practice every day, ready to work hard and get better. Lead, lead by example, right? Yeah. And and last one, obviously, it's just the opener, so there's still plenty of season to go. So uh, what, what are some of your goals? What are some of the team's goals for the rest of the season? Definitely the team goal is to win every game. And my goals are to be the best running back I can be and continue to help my team win football games. Awesome. Well, Jarrell, thank you so much for taking some time out. Uh, hopefully it's the first of many chats that we, we get to do after you know a great game this past week. Uh, Stonehill, their home opener. They get to play at home this week against Post on NEC Front Row. Make sure you check it out. Jarrell Washington, thanks so much for joining us here. Thank you for having me. It's time now for Stat Chat. And we go back to this past week's Red Flash Akron Zips game. The Red Flash racked up 453 yards of total offense in their overtime loss to Akron, their most yardage in a season opener since 2017, and one of the top 20 offensive outputs in the nation after week one. The 453 yards is also about 120 yards higher than their season average from a year ago when they finished sixth out of eight in the NEC in offensive yards per game. So a great offensive output to start the season for the St. Francis Red Flash. And now let's take a peek at our week two schedule. Here's what's coming up on tap. On Friday night, the Merrimack Warriors will be hosting Assumption at 7 p.m. on NEC Front Row. Then on Saturday, Duquesne will be back at the Bluff to play their home opener at high noon against Thomas Moore. Stonehill will play their home opener against Post, looking to go to 2-0. Make sure you check that out because it'll be your last chance to look at them for a while. They will be off for the next two weeks. They don't return to play until their conference opener against Duquesne on October the 1st. LIU will also be hosting the Villanova Wildcats at 1 p.m. All of these games will also be available on NEC Front Row. Elsewhere, Wagner will visit Rutgers. St. Francis will be back on the road to take on the Richmond Spiders. But our game of the week will be the NEC Conference opener, our ESPN3 TV game, and a matchup featuring interstate rivals who have also had at least a share in the last five NEC championships. The two-time reigning and defending champion, the Sacred Heart Pioneers, and their interstate rivals, the Central Connecticut State Blue Devils. The Blue Devils do lead the all-time series 13-10 to 10 and have won for the past six meetings. However, Last year in Fairfield, Sacred Heart came away with a 27-17 win. Now, if you remember, this was the part in the season last year where Malik Grant, who had taken over earlier for Julius Chestnut, really started to hit his groove. He was coming off that 228-yard performance the week before against Merrimack, and he continued to run wild against the Blue Devils. He had 29 carries for 183 yards and a season-high three touchdowns. Now, he only managed 46 yards in the opener this year against Lafayette, and we showed you how he was stopped and denied at the goal line. So we'll see if Grant can shake that off and go off for another big game against the Blue Devils this Saturday. Over on the Blue Devils' side, they talked this offseason about wanting to establish their identity early and kind of 
pick up where they left off last year when they won three of their final four. Now, maybe it's just me trying to read something in between coach speak, but it's almost like they were pointing to this very game, this opportunity, week two, conference opener, two-time reigning champions coming to town. No better spot to establish things early in a season than this, right? Maybe send that message, yeah, maybe we underperformed a little last year. We didn't play in the spring, so we had to shake off some rust. Really hadn't been out there since 2019 when we won the championship, by the way. But now we have a chance to send a message at Central's back, and they will indeed have that chance this Saturday against the two-time reigning champs. Plus, it goes without saying, the importance of this game to the Sacred Heart three-peat chances and the overall championship chances for both teams in starting out in the win column to avoid having to dig themselves out of an early hole in the league standings. Did you know, not including the spring 2021 abbreviated season, only four times in history has a team managed to drop their conference opener and then come back to win the NEC's FCS bid at the end of the season. The 2012 Wagner Seahawks, the 2013 Sacred Heart Pioneers, the 2018 Duquesne Dukes, and last year's Sacred Heart Pioneers team. A little bonus stat chat there for you. So be sure to check it out. Lots to see, lots of intrigue and anticipation for this one. Sacred Heart, Central Connecticut, under the lights in hard-hit New Britain, 6 p.m. Saturday on ESPN3. Well, that'll just about do it for this week's episode. Enjoy week two of NEC football, including that big Sacred Heart Central Connecticut State matchup Saturday night under the lights on ESPN3. And we'll see you right back here to make sense of it all and wrap things up for you next week. Until then, I'm Craig D'Amico, and this has been NEC football on the run.